Welcome to the Intercut Film Club here on the Intercut Podcast channel, where we take a look at a movie that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he just wants you to listen to his tape. It's Arturo Zarita. I don't have a New York, New York one, but I'm sure by the next time we do that one, I'll have one ready. Yeah, uh, speaking of New York, these are a couple of Scorsese's New York set movies. Not that uh, that is a rarity for him. A lot of his films are set in the city. Uh, but these but films these that we're looking at today, in particular, are a very street-level look at a Scorsese. Yes, uh, as a, at a New York that I think Scorsese is very familiar with. Uh, yeah. The Scorsese who was once running around uh, in the midst of his cocaine addiction, going from club to club. I think you see a lot of that Scorsese in both these movies. Uh, And it's just an interesting pair of movies to look at because in the breadth of his filmography, uh, obviously he's had a lot of films that have been treated as masterpieces. Uh, But this is sort of like an in-between period where he maybe wasn't quite people didn't quite respond the way they do to some of his earlier films uh obviously you know he starts out with some films like mean streets italian american alice doesn't live here anymore eventually getting to taxi driver what a lot of people think is the first uh masterpiece in his catalog uh film gets nominated for uh, for a couple oscars and really puts him on the map. Uh, eventually, he gets to Raging Bull, which he directs in 1980. And uh, that film is instantly hailed as a modern masterpiece. It's the film that wins Robert De Niro an acting Oscar, uh, wins his editor, Thelma Schoonmacher, an Oscar as well. Uh, but Scorsese goes home empty-handed uh, despite getting the Oscar nomination. Uh, and if you read his recent GQ profile, he also talks about this moment being a moment when he felt that he and the Oscars just didn't see eye to eye, that he was not uh, going to concern himself that much with what they thought uh, after that. Uh, and it then becomes an interesting period of searching for Scorsese uh, in the 80s, where he he's sort of trying to find his next project. Uh, the first one that we get after Raging Bull is The King of Comedy. It's a movie that uh, whose script he was brought earlier and he didn't respond to it. Although at this point in his career, he's starting to reckon with his newfound fame and he finds a reason to connect to the project. Uh, and then eventually he tries to get uh, The Last Temptation of Christ made. But when the funding is pu- is pulled by Paramount uh, weeks before production, he pivots to After Hours in nineteen uh, in nineteen eighty five and makes a film uh, that he felt like he could just imp- uh, put a lot of his own personal style into. Uh, so, Art, right, we're talking about a couple of the overlooked Scorsese movies here. You know, they didn't get the Oscars love that a lot of his other films did. They maybe got some critical love, but they're certainly not. Uh, remembered in the same breath as films like Raging Bull or his later film Goodfellas would be. But getting a chance to revisit these movies, what did you make of them, uh, either individually or as a pair? Uh, They're also known as cult films, you know. It's like if these are the lowest ones in your filmography, right? that's great. Um, I'd seen King of Comedy uh, a couple of years back, and I was when everyone was making the Joker comparisons, but I got to see After Hours for the first time. So while I was doing my uh, double feature... I'm like, you know, 
he like really captures New York in these and almost like a time capsule way and, and mm-hmm. even almost like inverse to each other because in the King of Comedy, there's a lot of shots where he's out there in Times Square where he's running down the streets of New York in the daylight. And then after hours, it's like those same streets, but like at night in the grungiest mm-hmm. way possible. Uh, and I'm watching these. I'm like, dang. Oh, wait, that's right. Our category here is that they're New York movies and it really stands mm-hmm. out for these. Um, they're both fantastic. Uh, I look forward to catching these multiple times like well after this um because i feel like i've only scratched the surface having watched these in the midst of a festival for the video Mm -hmm. and there's like so much more i can see rewatches of these having my rating go higher for them um starting off with king of comedy i think everything that they said for joker is still there uh even more so than before but i love the fact that for joker 2 when they're saying what's going to be the next one and they're saying it's going to be new york new york the fact that you already have the stand-in of liza minnelli in the background for this movie because i guess she had filmed a scene but it never made it Mm -hmm. it's like you're just seeing the pieces of what of what this man uh what's his name todd phillips joker yeah, he's just like tit for tat copying it. It's like when yeah. when Tarantino goes overseas to take some stuff that we haven't seen to make an American version. This man's not even. He's just going back in time yeah. from our when own I, movies here. When I saw uh, Joker, I had seen King of Comedy like a few years back, so I I uh-huh. knew the echoes of it. This is the first time that I'd watched King of Comedy since I saw Joker. Joker and interesting. You, you, the the inspiration is so so direct. It, it's Honestly. such a. It, it's more than just like copying I, the idea of certain scenes, but it's like the whole undertone of like, this is sort of like frightening, even if it is a little bit charming, it's on the line of funny, but upsetting. It's so yeah. like, he's copying that whole atmosphere completely. It's like the closest that we have nowadays would have been Ingrid goes West from a couple of years ago, where mm-hmm. you have that uh, more modern take of a person who really wants to be famous and thinks they deserve it. But the uh, honestly, this does deserve the extra half star that I did not give it on the rewatch because the the take on this is insane. Where you have a comedian who believes that he should be given this like five seconds of of limelight, but the mm-hmm. way that it's directed is honestly psychotic. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I already knew what the gist was, but even on the rewatch where it begins, where this man comes up to uh, the late night host played by Jerry Lewis. Mm-hmm. And he's asking for the for just a chance, right? And he gets ignored. And then the next thing they're sitting down for dinner, I'm like, oh, I guess he got... No, it's like the way that it is told is so much through his perspective. Yeah. That Joker, it almost answers things for Joker that people had theories on. It's so like, yeah. go look at the source material. And whatever that answered, it's there. And then even right. vice versa. In the rewatch, I already know how it ends. But I'm like, is this the one where it ends more violently? Or is that the take on the Joker? And then the more I was reading into it... This one almost had a violent ending that mm-hmm. ended up kind of being used for the Joker. So it's just fascinating to see how both of these come into play, specifically because Corsese yeah. ended up becoming producer for Joker. But damn, bro, this one this one stands the test of time. And it's crazy to think that it, it got bashed a lot. Even yeah. recently, you know, he's been uh, making those appearances with his daughter. TikToks. Um, which his daughter even appears in this movie. His older daughter appears Mm -hmm. as a fan during a dinner scene, but with his younger daughter, he was just talking about how this was the one that was panned. I love how he quoted exactly who said it was a flop. The flop of the year, yeah. Look, I I think it stood the test of time, and if if anything, especially with today's age, nah, this this really resonates. Yeah, I wonder if audiences just weren't necessarily ready for this in 1983, or, or at least like aware of the kind of like, perverted 
uh, ambition, uh, the the perverted like obsession with fame and that kind of like ambitious energy. It, it's got a, the it Joker feels like a more yeah, it feels like a more modern uh, refrain we're seeing in movies nowadays. I mean, I feel like the whole idea of this like person who is doing these awful things that ultimately gets held up as kind of like an interesting noteworthy person is this yeah. this uh character arc we see over and over again whether it's stuff that is like Joker and more directly uh in you know, like similar to this or even a film like Nightcrawler which has a lot of differences but also weird similarities to its sort of anti-hero arc right yeah uh, and I'm rooting and, for them to do the bad thing and then them like ultimately succeeding in a perverse way because of yeah. the way the the incentive structures that society has put forth. And I, I think there's a lot of really smart satire going on in this movie. It is also like a deeply funny movie in a way that I don't normally find a lot of Scorsese's films of this era to be funny. Like there yeah. are hilarious jokes and running gags. The whole bit with the last name is is so much more like slapsticky and silly than. Uh, he normally gets it's also like particularly for De Niro I thought a really really interesting performance I've never seen him play uh, um, a loser quite like he does in this movie yeah um, I, I always forget that Cape Fear is also Scorsese's remake that uh, he was also in I don't know if you've seen that one but yeah. that's like a very unhinged De Niro and that's like yeah. the closest I can connect to this but you're right he is a loser in this one he looks cool in Cape Fear a creep but you right. know he's, and he's got like that like terrifying in case. Yeah, he's fear. like Bill. Here it's like I don't know what's gonna set you off, and you could tell that that's exactly what Joaquin was looking after. And you know, reading a, a lot of the reviews for it, it felt like people were more scared of what the movie was talking about. Like they were judging the movie for like like it was implicit mm-hmm. in what the character was doing. And it's like it's weird. it's crazy to think that all these years later we're we're still kind of doing that with how we um, yeah. review media, especially in our last uh, uh, Scorsese wrap up with um, the Wolf of Wall, Wolf Street, of Wall right? Street. That yeah. this has been a reoccurring thing that he's got in his entire career. Now you began this by telling me um, what Scorsese was known for during that time, and I was reading <laughs> up that he got really sick during the making of this movie. Now I understand yep. why he was exhausted, um, but. I think it's fascinating um, where it where it leads to because I believe we're talking spoilers since this is a movie yeah. club right here. You were you were talking about how he almost gets praised for it, right? And I do yeah. believe that's a take in the movie. This time around, I was wondering how much of that isn't in his head, considering right. that this movie's so ballsy in the way that it shows you a sequence as if it's real when really it's all in his mind. Right? So that's the that's one of the fascinating things. And another thing that it sort of does in the inverse of Joker, where Joker sort of takes like, oh, these elements are a fantasy as like a big reveal later in the film. Yeah. As you mentioned, this movie starts with the beginning. No, he is like fantasizing a lot of these things and it shows yeah. you these fantasies so that when you get to that ending sequence, it kind of is left up to you to sort of decide like how much of this is his fantasy of how things went and how much of this is actually a Maybe reflection of what could have, yeah. could have happened. And like, I think what's interesting is that it's like maybe like plausibly enough in the middle. Like it's probably more fantasy. It's a little bit of like taxi driver ending ish, if you want to say that. But I, I think it's also like, it still is a bit of a commentary on uh, th- these like things that be, that, 
that dominate media cycles, right? These mm-hmm. things that garner attention and notoriety, the the uh, the sellability of nor- notoriety, right? Yeah. So even if it is a fantasy, I think it, it's a pretty interesting observation for Scorsese to be making, particularly at this moment where he feels like his fame has reached a new mm-hmm. uh, new height. Where do you fall? I mean, for some people, he fell at King of Comedy. I don't think it, uh, no, he no, did no. At I all. mean, where do you fall on the ending? Oh, on the ending between the the fantasy and reality. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's probably fantasy, right? Like that okay. feels too clean. But at the same way, I also would be open to it being a a real li- a, how he's supposed to how, what we're supposed to think is real life. Yeah, I I think the first time around when I saw it, I was like completely convinced. Yeah. I was taking it as like society's messed up. Of course they would, right? right of course right. they would see what he did and then still uh, accept him up there. And I think that's that's still strong enough to hold. But mm-hmm. this time around, you know, I was really paying attention to the editing and just the way that he sets up things. And I think if you follow it through like what he's wearing and how he styles himself, there's a degree where you can look at it and be like, ah, it's consistent to this being when he's in a fantasy scene mm-hmm. with what he's wearing as opposed to when he's actually in reality with how he does, uh, you know, his own makeup and, and especially with what he's wearing. So, man, I do owe it that extra half star. This, it, it, when a movie can, can balance that perfectly, I, I, I think that's beautiful. I think yeah. a big part of it, too. I was reading more into it uh, on this rewatch was how much of it is improv. Um, mm. You were talking about being inspired by a lot of moments. Um, Scorsese has this story about him having a stalker and him taking him out to eat, which I think is hilarious. Um, Cause only a, a crazy person who would do that would make a movie right. like this. Um, <laughs> but then the idea that there was so much improv to the point that the method acting was De Niro pissing off um, Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. To the point that he was like pushing his button. So a lot of the reactions are like, like, you know, Genuine. he's being freaked out because, yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't expecting all that. Um, and even the fact that Jerry Lewis kept his name so that they had that meta aspect that when they're walking through the streets, people would be saying Jerry. Yep. And they, would, they wouldn't be actors. They would be real people fawning over him. I think that's, yeah, that, that works beautifully in the movie. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it is a really good performance from Jerry Lewis, even though I, I feel like he legendarily did not have a good time on, on that right? film. <laughs> that's, it's been nothing but complaints after the fact, but yeah, nah, uh, it, but it, it works yeah, really well. It, it's such a, such a uh, resonant movie in a lot of ways. I To me, like, especially... The rewatch really helped unlock it more for me. Like, I, I definitely have it among my favorite Scorsese movies ever. Uh, it's, it, it yeah, bumped it's, it, it's really good. It bumped it way up in the uh, rankings for me. Uh, were there any particular scenes or, or moments that really stood out to you, particularly on your uh, rewatch of it? Uh, again, just a lot of the editing in terms of, uh, you know, he's he's fighting with people at the telephone booth, but in reality, he's just like sleeping, right? He goes yeah. to the diner or he's at the bar and the conversation with the bartender then becomes a dinner date. Like just the smoothness of that is so scary and so effective in putting you into the way that this guy thinks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All, all of that stood out for me this time. Yeah. Um, I just think the whole like ending few scenes it's this really interesting high wire act and uh, i love the way that they sort of tease you with his um his monologue and you kind of are left wondering like like is this guy actually kind of funny and like they you know they they sort of they sort of tell you exactly how funny he is the producer i think gives him a very fair reading of his levels as a comedian Um, but like when he when you actually get the monologue it kind of feels like oh he's kind of pulling this off in a weird perverse way yeah because they film it in that in that late night type uh 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 
camera setting. Yeah, he's doing it all in one go. Like it's mm-hmm. actually pretty solid. Yeah, it De might Niro be a decent job. A pretty underrated De Niro performance. It, I think it's a really good performance, particularly because it is, you know, seeing him in this kind of different mode. And yeah, he does have his moments where he get, gets to be a little bit like unhinged and terrifying. But those par- parts where he's trying to be affable and a comedian, he's got this like patheticness that is so yeah. like, I, I don't know. I think it's so well done. And uh, he really fully embodies that character. It was, it's a it really a interesting, <laughs> really interesting performance for sure. Um, uh, but then again, the shots of, of New York are are they're beautiful. There's yeah. like that moment did, when he's in Times Square and it just like, it feels like a time capsule. Two movie theaters directly in Times Square. They had a Regal <laughs> and then another one with uh, Blade Runner and the World According to Garp on the marquee. Want to go back to that time, man? Yeah, it's, it's like both the grungiest period that you don't want to be in, but, but you do want to walk down one street. Yeah, yeah a little bit and, romantic. And again, who better than Scorsese to have been the person to document that? So it's like they're almost, I'm not being pretentious to call them documentaries, but it's like they are periods of time um, that he's captured on film beautifully, especially with this next one. Yeah. uh, After Hours was uh, his next feature film. After, as I mentioned, uh, he was hoping to do The Last Last Temptation of Christ, but that would have to wait a couple more years. He ended up getting... Uh, this script for After Hours and filming it very kind of run and gun. A lot of shots were kind of uh, imagined on the day or on the uh, at set, uh, including the sequence when uh, he has the th- keys thrown down at him, which yeah. I thought was really, really cool reading up about. Uh, I'm assuming you uh, read some behind the scenes on that as well. <laughs> that, they, that they almost killed him and he didn't even realize that because they're just <laughs> testing it. Yeah. Yeah. And you um, forget that all these shots that we take for granted now because it's CGI or drones. It's like, no, they were putting that massive camera yep. into a box and then just dropping it and hoping that it didn't, like, you know, unplunge itself. So mm-hmm. I, it's really cool. It's so innovative. You know, earlier this year when Ari Aster was sh- beginning to show Bo is Afraid, uh, he had a long uh, dialogue with Martin Scorsese where they previewed the film. And, uh, you know, obviously Marty's a master and everybody is going to be in awe of him uh, for a number of reasons. But I did find it to be kind of an interesting uh, pairing. I, I know Marty has talked about Arya's films, but, you know, it, they don't necessarily all always have a lot in common, at least from my perspective. Uh, but I hadn't seen After Hours, and comparing that directly with Bo is Afraid. Oh, is your first view too? Yeah, this is my first view of After Hours as well. Um, you, the lineage is clear as day. Uh, this is the one crazy night movie to rule all one crazy night movies. Uh, it, it's about a ordinary word processor who has the worst night of his life after meeting, uh, going to, agreeing to visit a girl that he met at a coffee shop earlier in the evening. Uh, it's a movie about this guy's uh, New York experience spinning out of control as he goes from apartment to bar to subway to uh, poisoned interaction after poisoned interaction coming across a crazy cast of characters and a lot of really interesting uh, actors in this one. Uh, you know, uh, not necessarily like the biggest names. Catherine O'Hara, I thought was really yeah. incredible here. Um, a lot of women in particular, uh, a lot of the supporting women in this movie are so memorable. Um, but yeah, this movie just has this like riotous energy and this uh, unfolding sense of chaos. What did you think about After Hours? Bro, this 
it has been one that's been on my watch list for the longest time, and it delivered to an insane degree. Mm-hmm. You know, for the people who thought Bo was afraid was a little too much, this is that energy amped up to a degree where maybe the other one was a little too depressing and too many mommy issues. <laughs> I think anyone can relate to a dude who's just, you know, trying to clock out of work, and all trying he wants to, to do is... He just wants to get home, right? Yeah. And that, that girl who you said who he meets, um, I heard someone say that they, this was originally titled like uh, One Night in Soho or like A Last Night in Soho, which I thought was mm. kind of interesting to what movie would end up taking that title. Right. Um, but she's played, Marcy's played by Rosanna Arquette. And I'm like, why yeah. do you look so familiar? Mama Arquette, bro. Like she gave birth to four other actors. Uh, <laughs> and obviously she's been in a slew of movies, but um, the, the idea of never being able to get back home is fantastic. I'm going to say this right mm-hmm. here, right? Because we're obviously in the book the book movie club of this. Oh, if you haven't seen this movie, go do yourself a favor and see it because they had so many endings that they wanted to do for this movie. I heard they tested one out where we're in full spoiler. The highest recommendation from the both of us. Go watch it. It yeah. delivered on my watch list. Absolutely. That they were going to keep them in the cast. And the test audience were like, no. And at first, I thought, like, all that matters in a movie is that you can make a person believe who's watching it. There is no way it's going to end that way. Yeah. The fact that it ends up being uh, him just going back to work and he never went home is an incredible ending, bro. That is a timeless ending. An incredible punchline to this joke of a movie. um, It was uh, Shoemaker, the editor, which. I'm going to say this right here. Probably one of the best edited Scorsese movies she's ever done. Oh, the yeah. editing in here. No, dude. The editing in here is insane. I was just yeah. talking about how good it was for uh, King of Comedy. This is like yeah. twice that. This is some of the best editing he's ever done. You're telling me he was doing a lot of this on the fly? Well, bro, then he's got to do more stuff <laughs> with an interim uh, in-between moment because the way yeah. he shot this has so much energy. It is cut yeah. beautifully. They're just like, there's this shot of Marcy where just like dollies into her face. There's this one bit where like, it, it was like a sliding shot that he had. That moment you were talking about when the camera comes down on him. Incredible. Mm-hmm. I heard I mean, that it was Shoemaker's husband, who was a director at the time. Who said, yes. there's only one way for you to end this, Marty, and it's there. If it's not for that man, I don't know if this would have been uh, considered as much of a cult classic if it's not for that ending of him just going straight back to work after that crazy night. Yeah, I mean, it, it is such a like perfect button on this movie that just unfolds in, in a really crazy way. I, I saw somebody who said, like, it feels like a paranoid thriller, but he doesn't, he's not paranoid. There's actually people after him. Yes. You know, like it, it's just like so deranged and it builds and builds and builds in a, in a ridiculous way. Uh, it just like, it's one of those films that you, you feel like it can't get crazier than that. And it finds a way to cr- chop it yeah. in a way that still feels like it's Without in the tipping. same universe. Right. Yeah. It never really tips over that line. It, it all, you know, it just feels like, I, I don't know how often that experience has happened to you, but like, I, I feel like it's very familiar to like, oh, even though it's more modern, like sometimes my phone dies and I, I'm in a random street and it's like, all right, I got to just figure out how I'm getting back to where I came from. You end up but getting like, paper mache Yeah. And you, you, you just never know like what surprises a city can have in store or what uh, interesting people lurk around different quarters. Uh, I just think it's such a fun collection of characters that they've created and environments that they explore. Uh, it, you know, Cheech and Chong show up towards the end. It, it's it's great, so great performance. Uh, 
and it also just feels sort of like the air text of so many movies like this where some where a knight sort of just spills out and uh goes and loses control right yeah exactly just trying to get home um it was interesting to see that tim burton was supposed to direct this uh and then like you said the moment it freed up for scorsese tim burton gave it to him because i could see tim burton handling a version of this so right. to see how scorsese was able to approach it like it it's just fascinating to me. Um, yeah. On top of that, it this being the influence to After Hours by the weekend. <laughs> right. <laughs> Connecting a lot of dots for you. Yeah, right? I'm like, okay, uh, like what? Because, what? <laughs> you know, his whole rollout for that was influenced by this movie in terms of him just being out on a crazy night that gets even crazier and crazier. Obviously, for him, it tips way over and he finds himself yeah. at the Super Bowl in a house of mirrors. But... It, just to show you the the influence that this still has all these years later, and a lot of parodies that that have uh, come from it. Um, I saw one tidbit that they mapped it out. If he would have just walked home, it would have been the length of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, uh, that was great. Um, do you think this is more of like a har- a horror or a comedy? Oh, it's a perfect blend of both. I, I like yeah. I. You watch this movie and you understand why he loves Ari so much. Like right. it's that perfect blend of the two where they're 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 right next to each other. You know, they're almost the exact same emotion at the same time. It's horrific because of how funny it is, and it's so funny because of how horrific it is. It's yeah, no, it's fantastic. I also got some vibes of another favorite of yours, Under the Silver Lake, just in in the, yeah, the growing okay. chaos of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's certainly like a, a whole laundry list of uh, movies that have. Yeah, there's a point uh, where you think it's going to become Pee Wee's Playhouse, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and it, like it just stops itself from going yeah. there. Uh, you know, something that we didn't mention uh, yet are the Martin Scorsese cameos. He has a couple fun, yes, like blink and you'll miss some cameos in either of the, these films. Did you prefer one or the other over the other? Um, in the first one, he's like the film producer, right? And he just like walks the, away. He's the late night TV show director. Yeah. And then here he is. He's like controlling the lights at the Mohawk punk club. Uh, <laughs> it sort of like does a pan up to the guy moving the spotlight around. I'm going to go with the King of Comedy one because it's funny that yeah. he's the shortest one in the room. <laughs> he's, and he's, also, he's also got a line in King of Comedy as opposed to yeah. this one. Uh, I'm going to go with that one. It's another fun game to play going through Scorsese's filmography is spot the cameo. That he's always in it, um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, comparing these two movies, is there one that you prefer? Is it hard to distinguish? Like, is it is it the, the one has a vibe you like more or a story that just resonates better? It's not fair because I've seen one twice, twice. over the, the fresh one that I have for After Hours. That's a good hours. point, and I'm in the same boat as you. You know? And I know it's a cop-out to say, like, yo, I'm equally, like, they're, I give them both four stars with mm-hmm. the heart. I would not mind on another watch giving it another half star. If anything, I, yeah. I should have given it already. As of right now, I can't wait to watch After Hours again. Yeah. I mean, I definitely am really hungry to watch After Hours again because, like you, is my first time. I'm I'm with you in that four star. I bumped King of Comedy up to a five for me. I, I, really, I think that is a really fascinating, beautifully done movie. So, yeah, I might have to so give it the half funny. star. <sighs> All right, I, if you're listening I, to this yeah. and you're a letterbox a new... cop, this is exactly <laughs> what I'm bu- <laughs> This is exactly what I'm bumping up that half star yeah. for King of Comedy. I love it. I love it. Oh, did I feel like I need to give it to uh Ugh. We just gotta go through all the Scorsese movies. We're just yeah. gonna have to go through it all. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh man, no. After Hours has this one shot where he's running through New York, and it's just the the street signs. Yeah. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, there's just so much style, and when you talk about how people have, while a lot of people I feel like have aped sort of the the vibe and the the themes of King of Comedy, when people t- talk about borrowing from Scorsese stylistically, it's a lot of the stuff in After Hours and how uh, they yeah, shoot it, how the, the ca- how dynamic the camera is in that movie. Uh, both just incredibly influential movies. Hopefully all of y'all had a chance to catch up with us because it was a, a lot of fun to uh, both rewatch King of Comedy and catch After Hours for a first time uh, yes, for sir. me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, I think that's about it for this edition of Scorsese-tober. We're back again next week to talk about Scorsese and religion through a pair of films, <laughs> The Last Temptation of Christ and Silence. Uh, both of which will be new to me, so I'm very excited to do Ooh. those rewatches or new watches, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me over at LME Movies on Twitter, on YouTube, on Letterboxd, where I'm trying to log more stuff daily or every week here on the Intercut Podcast. Yeah, you can find more from me as well at Zshevich across social media or on my YouTube and TikTok channels at Multiplex Show. But I am also here every Monday streaming weekend must watch on Intercut. You can listen to the audio version of the podcast on iTunes, Spanker, Spot, Anchor, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I love Overcast. And then make sure you subscribe not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash IntercutPod, where you can watch our tired smiling faces as we break down the latest and yeah intercut after dark hours for sure uh find new episodes of weekend must watch streaming every monday we're doing the scorsese tober episodes every thursday but you can catch them early uh as early as tuesday by donating as little as one dollar a month over on patreon.com slash intercut pod uh where you get all sorts of updates through for uh, from us throughout the week uh, follow us on social media, also at Intercut Pod to get updates from Art, from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, better to be king for a night than schmuck for a lifetime. <laughs>